HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. This week's episode is the second part of my conversation with Tapiwa Guza, owner of Tapi Tapi, based in Cape Town. Last week, we had a powerful conversation covering everything from tribal Zimbabwean foods, the connection between our food, identity, and self-esteem, and what African food representation means and should look like on a global stage. If you didn't get a chance to listen, I highly recommend going back to part one and then coming back for the rest of our conversation. Here's the show. Now I want to talk about this idea of community collaboration. Um, first, want to get your your take on what that what that means exactly? Because I've done um, collaboration in different ways. I would I would actually say this, for example, is is an idea of a collaboration, right? Coming together in conversation to share our thoughts on this and bringing it to the world. Um, then there's also more structured types of, you know, collaboration. So I just want to start off by setting the tone in terms of what your idea is of one of community collaboration and what do you think, how important do you think that is? So why is it significant or important? Mm, yeah. So for me, it's, it's quite, uh, an expansive word. So I look at collaboration from the smallest unit of collaboration to the bigger picture, right? So the smallest mm-hmm. unit for me is the one-on-one. I've right. tricked you to come buy ice cream and you think you're coming to get ice cream. But what's going to happen is you're going to teach me about your culture. I'm going to teach you about mine. And I'm going to teach you about a few other cultures on the menu. That's collaboration. We've had an exchange of information. 
both of us are the better for it, whether or not you decide to use that information, right? And you've taken a moment to consider that someone else in the world lives a different life from yours and you see value in that life and in that way of being. And then the far end of that word would be what I'm talking about, this legacy work that we have to do. We must do this work where all of us, the community, and by community I mean the African community with its many diversities and subsects within it, we are all going to have to do collaborative work that expands beyond your field of interest or your field of expertise that seeks to combine different aspects of our identities into singular spaces. So you think you're coming to Tapi Tapi for ice cream, then you find art on the wall done by artists. You find the interior design, sorry, by art on the wall done by Africans, interior design, the soundscape. So I actively don't play music in my cafe because what I want to do is I want an audio engineer to create a soundscape based on a homestead, the little crickets, the fire crackling, people in the oh, background, cows mooing. I want that collaborative space. So you're collaborating with ancestors here. You're collaborating with an entire line of people who are yet to come to make this one moment happen. And this one moment does not exist as a, oh, we're going to go get some ice cream. No, you're coming to sit with community. Millennia of community. That's what we're doing here. That for me is like the ultimate collaboration. Yeah. Where everybody's coming together. My serving bowls are made by a ceramic artist from Cape Town who is a bad mother. <laughs> That's what I want. That person who is amazing at that one specific thing that they do will collaborate to this experience. And then, okay, what's next on the menu? My serviettes. Can I get someone to do something for me using a plant from this place, not like pine tree or whatever? A plant that's sustainable, that is of cultural significance, that we can weave a story into it to make a simple thing as a serviette. That's collaboration. Get obsessive with this idea that your entire life must be infused with your culture, infused with your people, not just little moments. I, I liken this to thinking you can live a healthy life by going to the gym for an hour. That's a delusion. <laughs> if 23 hours of your day are spent sitting with terrible posture, eating terrible food, collecting terrible credit, uh, ha habit credits, right? And you're like, okay, now it's time to be healthy. Let's go to the gym. <laughs> and you bounce out an hour of a mediocre workout. That's not it. That's not going to change anything. You want to live healthy. You want to live African or authentic to whatever your culture is. You want to live a life immersed and full of that. Because even within that, there's so much diversity. It will never get boring and homogenous. There's just too much. We don't know it. So that's collaboration for me. The individual level and this great big universal machine. Yeah. Yeah, so that 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 resonates so strongly with me, especially as you describe, you know, the the experience you're trying to create in your in in the Tapi Tapi Cafe, right? In terms of being intentional about 
where you source from, like the sounds, um, all of that. Because um, so I'm opening a space in, in Accra also with, I would say almost it's like we were born on the same, on different sides of the same coin with, with exactly with exactly that idea that our big focus is going to be absolutely on local food, locally sourced food. It's going to, and for me also like seasonal food, because I think that that's something we're losing because we've started, you know, this whole importing of food means that we have X food, you know, all year mm. round. So like mm. seasonal food is important to me in that like we, we support farmers who are growing the stuff. We buy it in season. If it's not in season, it's not on the menu. Um, so that people get used to trying different things. Because then you get the full flavor of those ingredients as well. Um, we're thinking of incorporating the creative arts community in terms of um, both artwork, you know, in the space, but then also up-and-coming musicians thinking about how we we fuse, you know, local music with food, thinking about how that, that works. Um, and then a big part, partly because of my, a lot of my travels around the world and then just my connection with different people in the food space, a big thing that I want to do um, is to bring in people, especially on the continent, from around the continent, but then also in the diaspora as and when their, their schedule allows sort of be part of this community, right? So whether it's a one-week residency or one-month residency, to share their food, their concepts. Like, so something like, I'm putting you on the spot, but something like what you do, <laughs> I think would be interesting in that space for, um, for a Ghanaian audience, right? Because the other thing that we don't do enough of is knowing about each other's food and culture, right? And so... There's people, there's even people like, you know, Ghana and Nigeria, you know, <laughs> fight quote unquote all the time about who's better and whatnot. But I can tell you there's a lot of Ghanaians that don't know enough about like Nigerian food, for example, and they're right next door. We are so, we've been so hyper-focused on that and and whether it's, you know, a perception of who Nigerians are. And so because of that, that is translated to their food that you wouldn't even want to try it, for example. And so I want to bring in that, um, what 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 Sanza taught me, like Sanza sort of, I don't know, he um, inspired something in me, I guess, to think about the connection between our foods and how we don't, you know, do that ourselves. Like we can be super hyper-focused um, when we think about our local foods, but then I think there's also an importance in understanding and I've 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 learned a lot doing this 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 is, I guess this is the selfish part of doing this podcast. I personally have learned a lot from talking to people from around the continent, um, mm -hmm. and and learning how much I don't know, you know, about what takes place elsewhere. Um, and so for me, like bringing in people like that into our space is also that part of. That is, you know, that self-esteem you talk about, that pride in like what we own and what we have, that people understand understand it, not just in the, in the local context or in the context of the of the borders that were artificially created for us, but in in our larger context as a people. Um, so those are the things that I'm trying to do in my own space. And as you as I've read your about your work and as you've spoken, um, it sort of resonates with me in terms of the the work. The amount of work that has to be done, but then also there's comfort in knowing that there's a lot of people who have that same mindset and there's the potential to do much more with it. Um, so 
I want to talk about specific things you're doing in terms of that. So we've talked about it more broadly, but from your website, I found um, there are things like a feeding program, like a butter trade program um, that maybe you can shed some more light on. And then maybe we can talk about capitalism, (laughs) 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 especially in the context of butter and uh, um, all of that good stuff. Sure thing. So for me, in in the beginning, I mentioned I started the business, I started the the company, right? Right. Yeah. But I don't call it that anymore. For me, it's an educational initiative. Right. It's an initiative. Okay. Because, and sometimes I I, I title it like a self sustained NGO. It's not a business. Okay. And for me, that's important. It makes money. It doesn't need me to put my own funds into it. Okay. But it's not there to make money. It's there to present opportunity to empower specifically black people Mm -hmm. and to set an example for black people or for what you can do. And so the way I've set it up is... For the first year, I'm running it by myself. Literally, it's just me. Okay. Literally, just me and community, right? Because people often give you the excuse, I don't have funding. Well, I say for two years, I use my own funding. Obviously, there's some privilege that plays into right. getting to the point where you can save money. Right. Yes, fair enough. Oh, but I'm not from this country. I'm an immigrant. So was I. I didn't have papers when I started this company. I carried on. Right. Number three, I started with a cell phone and a motorbike. That was all I needed to start the company. I made a social media page. I made it happen. That first step to say, oh, I'm starting a project, people. I'm selling ice cream. For me, no one can ever take that away from me. That was the best part of all that I've done. The moment you wake up and a dream is no longer a dream, you're doing it. It's a magical moment. That was number three, right? So all along, I've been making these choices to see, to show other black people who feel like they're waiting for three million rand funding to drop out of nowhere. <laughs> they're waiting for all the right papers to show up. They're waiting for all this magic to happen before they can finally start. They'll have a PA, they'll have a marketing team, they'll have a legal team, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be miraculous. That's a damn lie. That day is not coming for most of us. You have to grab that day for yourself. So I intentionally opened the cafe in a neighborhood that's very mixed, very diverse. Because again, in Cape Town, there's a history of segregation and there's a history of of wonderful, beautiful, high-quality, premium, sophisticated, blah, blah, blah. Use all the glossy words you want. (laughs) Places existing in white areas. Or certainly... They can exist in nice areas that are difficult to get to for most black people. Either because of financial cost or it's merely the time it takes to commute to a place. Yep. Yeah. Right? Considering your safety and all these other things. So I opened my cafe in a place where I know as a foreigner in South Africa with this history of xenophobia, I am safe. But every single person who walks past can try my ice cream for free. They can taste for free. And I'm talking specifically 
for black people, anyone else is welcome to, but I know every single black person who wants to try my product and see what is possible when they think about themselves in such a way they can taste it for free. That's my first layer of community outreach, right? Mm -hmm. The next layer on top of that is I have a fund where you as a customer can buy ice cream that you will never eat. Such that if one of those black people or anyone else is struggling to afford my product, because my product is a premium product, it's expensive for mm -hmm. some people. It's not wallet friendly for everybody. But I am not willing to compromise on the quality because, again, there's that pressure to say this thing is made by black hands and you are yeah. going to be mediocre. So you have <laughs> to be excellent every time with this product. It's unfair. That's your reality. Deal with it. Right? So... I know I want as many black people to try that food. I have no problem getting white money or middle-class black people or whatever, higher-income household black people, to pay for that ice cream so that when someone comes and says, oh, it's delicious, but I can't afford to buy it, I'm like, don't worry, here's a scoop on the house. I don't tell them that it's a donation because people react weirdly around charity. Yeah. I just say, no, have some ice cream. Someone else says, pay for it. So that's not me doing that. I'm still getting my full price of money for my scoop of ice cream. I'm not giving it away for free. But I found a way to let the business exist because the business angle is important, but let the NGO also exist because someone else has kindness and has capacity to, as a community, contribute to someone else's happiness, even if it's a single scoop of ice cream. It's not healthy. It's not the end of the, it's not going to sustain their nutritional needs for the day but damn let me tell you that 30 minutes where they have that scoop <laughs> is magical it is phenomenal you cannot tell me it's not going to change their life right because a lot of these people know the flavor they're like oh my goodness it's an ice cream you are wild what the hell are you doing here right and they go and they think about it come back next time they tell me i told all my friends i told all my friends they come to get some i'm like yeah they came and they had a little taste as well. And sometimes they come, the three of them, they've saved money for the three of them. They buy a scoop together, they leave with the three spoons, they share it. Mm. That's community. That little community yeah. of three is flourishing in that moment and in perpetuity. Right? So that's community coming together to help Tapi Tapi create this space. Then another layer on top of that is because I'm in this space with a lot of people who live on the street. A lot of people are hungry and they're always asking me for a little bit of ice cream, a little bit of food. I'm like, no, come back next week on this day. I will have food for you. I don't have money because I don't believe in taking money from my business to support someone else's life. The business needs to survive. The NGO needs to survive. That's the reality. I don't know. In America, they say NGO, NPO, non-profit organization. If yeah. That's not clear. Right. Or non-governmental organization. Yeah, non-governmental. Yeah. Right. So I refuse to just dish out money. That changes nothing. They'll probably yeah. buy white bread because it's cheap. There's no nutrition in it. So even from the health point of view, it's pointless. Right. So what I'd rather do is I'll go cook you the food that I eat at home because I know it's good. I know it's healthy. And I'll give you some of that food because just because you're down on your luck doesn't mean you don't deserve the dignity of a wholesome, healthy meal. So how do I fund that? Again, my customers... And I come together to facilitate this collaboration. So you buy a meal for 250 Rand, which is maybe uh, maybe like $15. $15, yeah. 
round about there. I make a full portion for you. And what I gain from it, I get to experiment with a new dish. Because I'm always coming up with new recipes. So someone funds me playing around the new recipe. And then about five to eight portions of food. Full portions, not like little skimpy portions. Full portions of food go to five to eight different people who I know be passing by the cafe throughout the week. So once a week, on Tuesdays, I cook. Wednesday, I give away the food if someone has paid for the meal. Again, collaboration, community, that costs me nothing. Sometimes again, because I'm learning, I'm practicing, I'm writing my recipe book. So that's going to my book. It's, infrastructure, it's an IP that I'm generating that someone else is funding. And yet we get to feed eight other people for $15, which is not even a meal for a person if you go for like, not even fine dining, just like go out, right? You have a wine glass, you have a meal, maybe a little bit of dessert. That's way more than $15. But I've managed to create an opportunity that at least once a week I know I can take care of some people. And then the other thing, the, the sort of the final aspect of it is you can come learn how to make ice cream at Tapi Tapi. Every Monday I have an internship program. Oh. Because the, yeah, for free. You don't pay for ingredients because I'm making the ice cream to put on my menu. So it's going to get sold. But the point is, how can I teach you the skill you think is so mysterious? Because it's very basic principles. Step one, do that. Step two, step three, step four, step five. Piss easy. But the food industry has this culture. In fact, anyone who's in a specialist field would typically try to pretend like they are. It's harder work than it is. It's not. There's no <laughs> great mystery. If you're willing to learn, you can learn how to make anything. Gnocchi, French cooking, whatever. There's this whole glamorization, demystify. Oh, it's like the dark arts, the culinary arts. Nah, it's food. It's a basic <laughs> human function. Yeah. As long as you have the patience to learn and you have an open mind and accept that maybe you don't know everything. You know, maybe you're a great cook. But maybe I know a little bit today in this particular context because it turns out I make ice cream every single week for the last eight years. Yeah. I'm no expert, but I'm more of an expert than a lot of people. So you come for the internship, you learn, and I give you payment in the form of ice cream. That ties into the barter trade, right? I don't want to get high on my own supply. Or rather, I don't want to <laughs> dig, uh, tip into my coffers, right? So... You get some of the ice cream that you make. I can't afford to do that. Yeah. I can't afford to pay you because I'm a small little one-man business and NGO. But I respect the effort that you've put in. I respect your commitment to this thing. Because you started at 6 a.m. for five hours. For most oh, people, wow. that's bizarre. In the kitchen, right? So I recognize what you've done for me. I appreciate it. Here's a tub of ice cream in return. It's not much. But that's what I can do. If you're comfortable with that barter, great. And then the final aspect of the barter trade is also if you have food in your home, let's say you've got a tree, you've got a garden, right? Some people don't have space to grow their own things. But maybe your tree is burdened with all this produce. You can do a drop-off at the cafe. Some of it we're going to making a flavor. If it makes sense for ice cream, you get a tub of whatever flavor that I make. 
but some of it goes into these food parcels that again people who need food can pick up it does you no harm at all besides the cost of the manual labor of picking the food and delivering it at the cafe your tree will always produce more than you can consume your garden unless you have a commune but if it's a family of four or whatever right you will never consume all that food right so why not spread a little bit of it because you have the privileged and that you have the privilege in terms of access to land that most of this country does it's a massive country but very few people have access to good quality arable land and so that's how i'm trying to engage with the community and trying to empower people even at the cafe i grow plants at the cafe in like in old crates like in with plastic bags just to show people if you have space for a container put some yeah. soil in it you can grow some food don't wait for a farm don't if you buy one button at one pumpkin you shouldn't have to buy pumpkin ever again because <laughs> each one will have like 200 seeds yeah <laughs> all you need to do is plant five more wait for the next round plant five more wait for the next round you know it's so simple to me so obvious to me but people don't know i have a background in plant biology so i know how to take care of yeah. plants i grew up in a farm like lifestyle so i know what it means to produce food from nothing it's very simple work but you take it for granted how much you know you assume everybody else has that information so if right. you can disseminate that information out to make it easier for other people to realize actually i don't always have to buy food the idea of like cutting a leak at the root and putting that back in some water get some roots put in the soil another leak pops out what do you mean that's like magic <laughs> to people such a basic thing you yeah. Know? yeah 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 All of us at HRN have been keeping busy, despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. So two things as you were talking, especially about the internship program that came to mind was one, you know, this idea of like, most people know how to cook and it should like this idea of culinary arts and all of that. Um, it's interesting to me how, especially French cuisine, 
has been held up as this like epitome of world cooking Mm. um and you know not to knock it or whatever but to me it's like it's it's what butter. It's literally butter that makes <laughs> that makes butter French and wine. food like that literally that makes French food so you know quote unquote flavorful. And so then what tends to happen as people you know try to move in these spaces? I think specifically, I'm thinking specifically of um, a chef who I've mentioned before on the show, a Ghanaian chef, Chef Eric Ajapong, who. Uh, ended up on one of these like Top Chef, which is a it's, it's a premier cooking show on. on no, American. I remember him. I yeah. remember him. And, and he made like the the bitter lemon, uh, the bitter melon, and the, yep. they did not like it, right? I remember. They that did not like exactly. That's the that's exactly <laughs> what I was gonna say because because again the standard is like a Western standard. So I remember Tom Colicchio is like they're tasting Padma Tom Colicchio. They're tasting this food and like they're like oh it's gritty and I'm like yes, a goosey stews like certain parts of um Ghanaian culture like goosey stew is meant to be gritty and like that's the way if you're expecting a smooth puree like thing because that's you know the French way or the western way for something to be quote unquote fine dining then I personally I, I remember talking so passionately about this at the time I personally don't think that you qualify to be a judge on like a world stage if your viewpoint is so narrow and so that tends to be challenging for a lot of people who have who have the skill set, but then are being are trying to move into the spaces where they can create wealth for themselves, their families, and their communities. They are being held back because it's a certain standard that the rest of the world or the gatekeepers of the industry want them to meet. So you, um, you, 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 uh, that that point right there, right? Part of the work that we need to do is to stop seeking validation from external places. Like you said, you can't base your entire worth on a piece of paper from some institution, from some university, from some board, some committee that has no clue about your context to say, okay, you're good enough to cook food now because you've learned the French way or you're good enough to do medicine now because you've gone to John Hopkins or you're good enough to do fashion design because you were featured at New York runway, blah, 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 fashion week. <laughs> you know, we need to stifle that feeling of always saying, give me a certificate. Let me tell you this short story, right? Yeah. There's a world-famous Zimbabwean musician that was friends with my father, right? And at my one of my father's birthdays, celebrations he was there and he's like oh i'm thinking of doing a phd in music and my dad is like oh how come and he's like oh i I don't feel like i've i've done you know i haven't gone as far as i can go in this in this context of music right and my dad is like do you realize people are writing phds about you (laughs) how messed up is that right how messed up is your esteem, your ego, how f- right. is it? If you are still looking for validation when you've been a legend for 60 years, you've been a musical legend. And now you want to go start learn music so you can feel like you belong to the academy. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, which brings me to to this this to this point. Especially, I mean, I guess in the context of 2022, like of 2020, that um, if it has taught us anything with all of the chaos that's happening, it's that, um, I personally, for me at least, it's that importance of sort of staying true to yourself. Um, and what you have said, the importance of pursuing dreams with with more urgency now i think knowing that life is not perfect like the best laid plans you know they say man plans and god laughs um so wanted to get your perspective especially in light of everything that you've done your thoughts on pursuing dreams with urgency and sort of that waiting for the right moment and again this also resonates with me personally in terms of the decisions that i've made to to move away from one identity and it, and it was tough like there was um there was an article that came out about about me this week or like la- no this week last week in, in food and wine about the work that i'm doing and it it sort of put an end to my previous identity as a, as a banker quote unquote and to be honest like while everyone you know was like oh my god great you know great profile blah 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 there was also a sort of mourning of like that identity that I'm moving for. I've made that decision to move forward into, you know, doing the work I want to do in food. But then for me, in a lot of ways, I put out into the world that I'm, I'm no longer identifying as X. This is who I am going forward. And I hadn't seen, I guess seeing it in print <laughs> was almost jarring in some ways. And that it's like, okay, like this is, because I've since I made that so I made that decision last year and then this year happened and then to be honest there was slight mo- there were pa- moments of panic like oh my god like I'm going into this and un- was this the right time to do it I'm going into this unknown and like what is going to happen with the world being everything that it is and the things that I had planned to do this year not being able to do them because of you know <laughs> COVID and whatnot it's like okay I've made this decision to pursue this thing. But life around me is not <laughs> happening in the way I expected. So, so what do I do? I, I've calmed down a little bit now from those moments of panic. But I think um, when you brought up this point, it also sort of made me reflect again on like my own personal journey in terms of pursuing stuff with agency in the light of all that we've lost this year. And I guess I wanted to get your take on 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 that. Oh, I can hear you now. Yeah. No, so um, I was saying that just that's that's sort of where I've landed this 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 year with everything that's going on, uh, that has gone on so far in twenty twenty and all that we've lost. I think this question that you brought up about you know pursuing dreams with urgency actually even is resonates even more so now and wanted to get your thoughts on what what that is and what that what that means for you personally so for me the the most important thing that i've realized for myself is you need to sit down and think really really think at the fundamental level 
what is the point of this work that you're embarking on? That's if you, mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're trying to shift away from, oh, I, I just have a job too. Right. I want to do something that I feel is my calling, is my passion. This is the work that I want to do. You need to set a very clear foundation that allows room for growth and changing of minds later on and all that. But be very clear because what happens is at some point, if things are going well, you're going to become a trend, a little fad, and people can be excited. Opportunities will pop up from left, right, and center. Money being thrown at you, temptation here, temptation there. Oh, come work for us. Come do this with us. We'll give you money. Oh, why are you opening this little place? You look, you know, you could do better in this more affluent neighborhood. I have access to a better clientele. All this stuff. If you're not clear on why you're doing this work, if you're wishy-washy, if mm-hmm. your compass goes wherever the magnets are, as opposed to pointing true north, you're in trouble. So for me, pursuing your dream, be clear what that dream is, what it means, and why you're doing this work. It's important to remember it in really good times and in really bad times, really difficult times, because pendulum swing back and forth, peaks and furrows, or whatever it goes, right? So... Take some time and really think so that when you make choices, you don't react to situations. Mm-hmm. You make choices that are true to that vision, to that dream. Right. Yes, 2020 has been chaotic, but Tapi Tapi hasn't changed because I was very impulsive. I was like, oh, how do I do now? How do I make money? I just like sat and like, we prepared for this. I had planned on being broke for the first year. I had saved money <laughs> because yeah. I knew the temptation would be to go for the money. Right. I knew I wanted to be making choices that are true to that dream. All right. And when I say there's urgency, for me, it's to say, it's not to say the older you get, the less likely or the less easy it is to pursue your dreams. No. It's to say, once you know what it is, get on it. Because... The uh, the situation will never be ideal. It's never going to be perfect. You just... There's a poet here who says, what? Your dreams deserve your courage. Koleka Putuma. Hmm. Right. She says something, something along those lines. It's a few words, but it's a very powerful statement. That's that's powerful, I think. It's It is so true and so important even if you fail, like I was saying earlier on, right? Failure is not part of it, right? For me, it can financially fail, or you maybe can lose your passion for it, or whatever, right? For me, success. I don't look at my balance sheet for my success. That's a consequence of my success, mm. right? For me, my success is I started this dream. I woke up. I was like, on July 13, 2018, I'm going to start a business. I opened an Instagram page for it. I told people, tell people. (laughs) Otherwise, it's just a fantasy in your mind. Make it real. Make yourself accountable. Start. If it doesn't work out the way you want it to, that's fine. You can start another dream. But to pause, to wait for the dream to align, that's the biggest waste of your time. Because what's going to happen... You save up money, you get funders, 
And then two years in, you realize, oh, this was a scam. It was never the thing that I wanted, actually. But if you start small at the pace you are currently at, however comfortable you are, maybe it's just you in your kitchen at home. You do deliveries once a weekend. That's what I used to do. People are reacting to the product. Oh, I'm seeing there's interest. I can customer feedback is happening. I'm really enjoying this. It's difficult work, but I'm in it at very minimal investment on my part. And I'm getting exposure to the realities of it, the practicalities of it. Mm -hmm. I'm living the dream. I still have my full-time job. It's a minimum risk. Versus yeah. quit my job, I'm done, I'm moving, I've got all the funding, let's start, put a million rand into it, <laughs> yeah. and then it collapses because yeah. actually it's not the thing that you're meant to be doing and now you're realizing it's just as dreadful as your previous job was. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then you're yeah. screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know that's yeah, a good point. Um, um so what's next for Tappy Tappy? Like what's your you know, you've done a lot so far in the last two years. Um What's your, you know, I guess maybe ongoing vision or what are the things you're looking to accomplish for the rest of the year, next year, bigger picture? So for me, it's, it's expansion. Okay. Right. That's the, the, the bigger, specifically in the food sector, hmm. but keeping in mind that the tapi tapi angle is a very small part of my big picture, my personal right. journey, yeah. big picture, right? Yeah. But if we're just going to focus on this little wedge in the pie here, the ice cream, the immediate urgent target is to have my own separate cafe space. Because right now I'm in a communal space with a, a restaurant. It's synergistic because they do savory food. They do Congolese and South African food. Oh, nice. And then you can have some tapi tapi ice cream right. as well. Yeah. So it works quite nicely together. Mm. Sometimes I feature South African flavors. Sometimes I do Congolese flavors or whatever. Right? It works. But immediate, I want to have my own little space once I've made enough money. Again, I don't want to be holding to any entity, to any funder. So every single cent involved, some people think it's naive. Some people think it's risky. Never bet your own money on a cause, blah, blah, blah. I much prefer the freedom of being truly free of burden. I don't owe the bank money. I don't owe any vehicle finance <laughs> money. Yeah. Literally, every single piece of equipment I paid for myself. I go to sleep like a baby. So what I want is to get to the point where I have my own space. And then the current space now, I give that to someone else who has a similar passion and excitement for the kind of work that I'm doing. So that they themselves can get a feeling of what it's like to be in a business space or mm. whatever, right? Empower some other black person. Yeah, yeah. And then the next level after that is how do we normalize food, our food, right? So I want co-opting from other brands. So people often ask me, who are your competitors? I have none. <laughs> I only yeah. have collaborators, right? So I want yeah. our ice cream places here to adopt my menu. In their own way. To say, oh, mm. we used to do nachi and hibiscus, uh, not hibiscus, nachi and pistachio. But actually, we're not going to do South African flavors, Cape Townian flavors. I want them to do better than I'm doing. 
I want the supermarkets, wherever they're making their nonsense bullshit ice cream, that's a real ice cream, to at least represent the flavors from here. I want the farmers to start growing things from here because demand is coming from the people to say, hey, we want our foods. Because our agricultural sector here looks a lot like the American one, looks a lot like the European one because we grow things from colonizers. We don't grow things from here because it's not commercially viable, because not enough people are buying it. And a lot of these plants are wild plants. So economically, as a farmer, growing a wild plant doesn't make financial sense. It's got more seeds, less fruit, less edible bits. Yeah. Because we don't have our own plant breeding programs. We've been breeding sweet potato. We've been breeding maize. We've been breeding potato, tomatoes, whatever. Centuries we need to catch up on. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so part of that is normalizing food. And part of that is getting the consumer to demand food that looks like tapi tapi food yes. in other places. Yeah. How come you're not cooking food from here? How very dare you? Why doesn't your pizza have greens from here, meats from here, the different uh, sour milks, whatever, from here? That's the next level. And then yeah. beyond that, how do I preserve the technology? And this is a challenge to you as well, Yom, personally to you directly. You say you're opening mm -hmm. up your own space in Ghana. Yeah. What, what Ghanaian technology are you bringing to that space? What cooking way are you bringing to that space that reflects your people? What serving bowls, what water vessels, what principles? Not just oh, I'm making a Ghanaian dish, but I'm using a Le Creuset pot, right? You have cooking <laughs> vessels, yeah. right? You have cooking vessels in your culture yeah. that are unique yeah. and specific for specific dishes. We have fermentation chambers for fermenting milk specifically, then one for storing the right. milk. They have the little spots for releasing the whey and keeping the curds in. All this technology. It's not about saying, I want you to go get pots from the village and cook in your stove in the, in the city. No. It's about saying, how can you, as an empowered person, start your own range of cooking way that's inspired yeah. by Ghanaian, specific Yoruba or whatever, people's cooking way. To yeah. say, listen, we're stuck with this induction stove, we're stuck with this gas stove, but I want my heritage on that stove. I'm currently in the process of developing my own cooking range to fix that. Because what we then do is we preserve our identity, even though we're modifying it, we're modernizing it, right? Because tell you what, in Zimbabwe, I know the next generation that's coming will not be able to make the pots that my grandmother could make. I can make those pots because yeah. I never learned. And the people who can make those pots are dying. They're going to be gone. You're going to cry and complain about colonization. And yet you did <laughs> nothing about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is very serious. For me, I'm creating even like an ice cream tasting ritual. Right. Borrowing from the Japanese tea ceremony. Mm. Right. Yeah. You get a bowl, you get a, a little box inside it. It's a clay pot. Imagine two clay pots stuck back to back. One pot is smaller for the single scoop. The other side is for a double scoop. Both those pots are inspired by actual pots that exist in my cooking culture. The way the paint is put on, the firing, some are done for cooking so they don't have paint. So they have print and more patterns. 
some are for storing things so they never see fire, so they have colors, right? Part of it, before we start eating, we always clap our hands to say, give thanks. In a very specific way, oh. the eldest, yeah, the eldest person is the one who's allowed to take food first. And then it goes hierarchical in the circle because you eat in community. In the beginning, you burn this plant I was telling you from earlier on in Pepo to initiate the ceremony. You wash your hands with the soap made from local plants that have that have been used historically as soaps. So you're immersing different aspects of your food culture into a simple little thing as eating ice cream. You've co-opted people who don't have that culture and you've reinforced your own culture into that experience. It's subliminal, but that ancestry, that heritage, it lives on because you've made a fun, silly little game out of it that is adding value, that is preserving without, even, without it having to exist in a museum or a cultural center. It's in someone's house right now. Someone from Sweden is having a tapi-tapi ice cream <laughs> ceremony that didn't exist until yeah. I came along and insisted on it. Yeah. Yom has yeah. to make her own version. Every other Eric <laughs> has to make his own version. Whom the hell yeah. ever has to make their own version and we preserve mm. this thing. Yeah. Wow, that's where Tapi Tapi is going. Yeah. Wow, I'm 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 like taking it all in, blown away, and then just try to <laughs> absorb it all at the same time. That's that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> this has been great. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I kind of know what it's like for the audience, but just this has been one of the most um, thought provoking conversations I've had in a while, and. Uh, I appreciate you. Like we've gone way over the time we'd we'd uh, allotted for this. I appreciate <laughs> you uh, sticking around. Um, before we transition to the quick rapid fast questions, mm, can you let people yes. know where they can where they can find you online, uh, whether it's social media or website, if they want to collaborate or just to learn more about your work? Sure thing. So the website is tapitapi.co.za. So T A P I. T-A-P-I dot C-O dot Z-A. And then Instagram is underscore tapi underscore tapi. But basically, if you find my website, you'll find everything else. If you yeah. forget the website, Google handmade African ice cream. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm the one who comes up. Okay, and I will and I will share that. I will share that. Yeah. And I will share the, yeah, the link yeah, to <laughs> I'll share the link there to you when this comes out. Um, okay, so rapid fire questions. Um, first go. one, breakfast or dinner? Dinner, because I only eat once a day. You only eat once a day? Yeah. <laughs> my my, my <laughs> okay. body does my, my body does really well with one meal, so... It seems wasteful and excessive to eat more than that I need. I eat according to the hunger requirements, and I'm only hungry once a day. Interesting. Um, this is kind, of, I guess, sort of related. Morning person or night person? Morning person, definitely. I my body. Mm. I've actually been genetically tested for it. Uh, I volunteered for a scientific <laughs> study once, and there are genes associated with morningness or eveningness or either. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, um, I don't know if you remember homozygous and heterozygous. Wait, say that means? again. Homozygous and heterozygous. Do you remember? Oh that yeah, from yeah, yeah. Biology? Got it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you're homozygous for one gene, you are, or one version of a certain gene, you are a morning person. If you're homozygous oh. for the version of the other, of the same gene in a different way, you're an evening person. If you have both, oh, then you're it. kind of balanced. I have both, oh, I but I, I prefer to see, to get home while there's still daylight so I can enjoy the day at home. So I'm, yeah. I wake up early to get the day going. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Life. I'm so excited to see life every day. I don't wait for big moments to enjoy life. You wake up, you see a squirrel. This morning I saw a squirrel peeing outside and peed for like two <laughs> minutes. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> for two minutes I was peeing. I was like, Jesus, oh where's that all coming God. from? <laughs> so, so, wow. So, I, I, life is amazing there are miracles everywhere happening every single day yeah. i don't need the supernatural to appreciate the yeah. beauty and the glory of every single moment yeah that's okay and then if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life what would that be rice and peanut butter that's called man, <laughs> uh, manuchu that's uh that's deep in my nostalgia that's my grandmother Ooh. and me there yeah yeah definitely rice and peanut butter cool. no hesitation because you can eat on its own you can have it with a sauce you can have it as a dessert savory it goes everywhere i put in my ice cream it works for everything <laughs> wow okay well this brings us to the end of our conversation this i one appreciate both your time your perspective your insight this has been eye-opening not just in terms of you know what you've shared but also personally resonate with me and the things I'm trying to do from from an outward perspective and then also just inwardly reflecting on on um, like what you mentioned around self-reflection and thinking about purpose right and how that manifests itself into the world so I am so thankful for you and for your time thank you so much Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.